Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. And for the next year, I'll be teaching entrepreneurship from Vinh University in Hanoi, Vietnam. Today, please welcome our guest, Joanne McCall, author of Media Darling, Shine Through Every Interview. Joanne, welcome. And uh, Joanne is very special to me because we um, have a lot of her clients appear on the show who write amazing books. And now uh, Joanne is the subject, and we're glad to have her. And I particularly like uh, the PR subject because I think all of us are looking to how do we raise our visibility. Uh, so, Joanne, let's let's start with you by telling us about your professional background and how you got to where you are. So, Mark, I just uh, want to thank you for inviting me to be here because you have such a popular podcast. It's a you know it's an accomplishment to get here. So, thank you very much. <laughs> well, my pleasure to have you. So a quick background, I originally come from radio, radio broadcasting back in the day, and I started when I was 18 years old, so started pretty young, and uh, worked in radio, I did music shows, I did talk shows, and through doing talk shows, I interviewed lots of authors and business people. It, I especially loved doing it because I just met so many interesting people and heard great stories, and found that I just really had a passion for that. So um, so radio was the beginning, and then it morphed into other things based on other interests that I had in my life. Awesome. Awesome. So why did you write this book? So I decided to write this book. I, I basically, I, I moved from radio and got into doing PR. And so this book is all about how to do great interviews and how to reach the media and talk to them and present yourself well. And I really wrote it for, I would say, two reasons. One is I've been doing this for a while, so I have a lot of stories. And I thought, well, you know, I should, maybe somebody could benefit from them. So I decided to get it all written down. And then the second reason really was uh, I wanted, I was seeing interviews being done that just were not very good, not to insult anyone, but a lot of them were really bad. So you would go to an interview and there'd be 10 minutes where the guest and the host would congratulate each other. And I would think, you know, let's get on with it here. Or hosts that, you know, didn't know how to shine the spotlight on the guest or um, was complaining about things that maybe, anyway, the bottom line is I thought I could give and share some information that would be helpful to them so that they could have some great experiences doing interviews. So that's really why I did it. Well, why did you get into PR? What drove you into that? I mean, I know you have a broad, broadcast background, but why PR? So what happened was I was in radio and it, it was going great. I mean, I had the shows, as I explained. I was also doing a lot of voiceover work and commercials, which makes me think of someone you recently interviewed, Elaine Clark, I think. She does voiceovers. Yes. That was a great interview, by the way. Oh, thank uh, you. So I did a lot of interviews, uh, or I'm sorry, I did a lot of commercials uh, for like Dairy Queen. And then I did some work for Nike, their industrial films and that sort of thing. And it was great. And people said to me, you have the most perfect job. You should always be happy. This is just great. Meanwhile, inside, I'm thinking, you know, there's other things I want to do. I want to do more. And the main thing that was driving me was I wanted to have more control over my own destiny. I didn't like working for someone else who could tell me, oh, by the way, we just sold the station and uh, you're all fired. Or, um, well, you know, we decided we need to downsize here and we're letting go of, you know, so many people. Uh, I didn't like that sort of insecurity. And I realize there's insecurity and risk in the world, but I wanted to have more control of what I could control. And one thing I could control is the kind of work I did, clients that I would have. And because publicists and authors were approaching me to be on my radio show, I remember thinking, you know, I could do that. I mean, I could I could work with with authors or business people and book interviews for them. I know the media. I am the media. I know how to do this. And so I started thinking, yeah, you know, I, I could do that. And then there came a day where I decided to do that. And I pulled the plug. And I remember, you know, my husband at the time, he um, 
he he didn't share this with me that it made him very nervous. He was very supportive. Uh, but later I found out it did make him nervous. But that Monday I started and and I was in the black from day one, to tell you the truth, which is, you know, I'm very grateful. So that's really why I got into it. And what what's the hardest part of helping uh, companies get PR? There's a couple of things. One is um, you have to make sure that whatever story you're pitching is a real story, that it's actually newsworthy, that someone would be interested. And sometimes if you're a communications director inside a company, you may have a boss or someone above you saying, hey, get this out there, write a press release and you know get this news out there. But it isn't really news. And you're sitting there going, this isn't really news. So you have to find a way to create a story that is newsworthy, that that the news media would be interested in covering. And very often that means coming up with something that's unique, that's different, especially if you're going to a journalist or someone who covers a particular beat. They've heard it all. I mean, they're pitched all day, every day. And uh, so you don't want to go in with just a, you know, a lukewarm pitch that they've heard, you know, 50 times, 50,000 times. You want to come in with something that's a little bit different. One example I have is I worked with a woman, I was doing a publicity class and she was a developer. She developed homes out on the Oregon coast. And we were having this conversation and she says, I just don't, you know, I mean, there's lots of developers out there. What's so unique? What's special about this? And through the conversation, it finally came out that when she developed homes, they cut down as few trees as possible and they built the homes around nature. And so nature was like the the main focal point. And then the, the home came around that. And I said, well, that's it. I mean, that's the story, especially in this part of the world. Uh, where the environment is is so uh, important to people. So that's what we used and we got plenty of attention for it. So looking for something unique is is really the way to go. That's what you want yeah, to do. Yeah, you have to have a fuck. And you, you have do. to ask yourself, why would would I read whatever this is or listen to whatever this is? Exactly. And you're right about, you know, um, people asking, oh, we just signed two clients. Get a press release out on that. <laughs> yeah. Or back in the day, you know, we just launched a website, you know. Right. Yeah. That was not a story. Sorry. Yeah, definitely not a story. Yeah. And and it's really hard work. Like people don't understand how many times you have to contact someone to get get them into a publication and what you have to do to make that happen for them. And even if you know the journalist, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen unless you have something good to give them, right? Because they don't want to embarrass themselves by putting in something that's uh, meaningless. Exactly. I just was speaking with a senior editor of a magazine the other day who used to be a news guy. So he ran news newsrooms all over the country, various places. And uh, he was uh, telling me that because so many people are pitching you, your first automatic response is no. You know, so you so you have to be able to, you know, get through that somehow. And that, of course, is that unique angle or speaking them to them in such a way that they can actually hear you. So, yeah, I think it's uh, overwhelming. I, I've been on both sides where I'm mm-hmm. pitching. And also I wrote a national column for American State Business Journals and have done those. So I've sat on on both sides of those things. But I remember that the really understanding of the PR people, because I know it's a hard job and my daughter has her own firm. H- how's artificial intelligence affecting the PR industry? Mm. You know, just as a side note, I always tell my clients, when you're doing an interview, you can get away with saying, that's a great question once during an interview, uh-huh. maybe twice if it's a longer one. But, you know, your questions are good. And I keep wanting to say that. So I'm going to it's a good question mark. Um, so this is a big unknown at the moment. So so where we are is there are a lot of media outlets who are, who are banning AI from their journalists, from their writers. They're not allowed to use it. A lot of them, the AP, I mean, many of them. Uh, so I noticed too, that there are PR people who are running Zoom sessions and, and events to teach people how to use AI, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, and some are using it to write their pitches. I disagree with doing that. I don't think that's a good idea. I think that there'll be technology that will be able to flag when something's written by AI. Probably already is. Um, and but, however, w- where I do find it very helpful is you can input questions and information and get some really good ideas. So if you're thinking about uh, angles and pitches to various media, you can put in your topic and see what it comes up with. And sometimes you'll get some good ideas. But 
what I'm saying today, it's probably going to be wildly different one year from now. Uh, so, and so that's where we are right now. I, I'd say tread, tread lightly, tread lightly. What um, you have an acronym for media darling. Uh, please tell us what it stands for. And you mentioned in the book, the one quality needed to um, be one. What is that? Yes, it's kind of a long acronym, isn't it? Media Darling. I had to write it down because I thought, am I going to remember it under the pressure of an interview? Will I remember everything? So uh, just bear with me. So media is motivated, energized, directed, interesting, and attitude, which are very important. And then Darling is determined, amiable, relatable, lightness, illuminating, nimble, and giving. Uh, so that's the acronym for Media Darling. And the, I'd say the most important one, and it's a challenge because I think they're all important, but attitude, I think, is everything. Uh, it's it's everything. It's how you go into something. It's the attitude you bring to it. Being a media darling is where you behave in such a way that the media wants to call you for interviews. You're professional. You know your stuff. You know your material. You're interesting. You're engaging. You bring people in. They want to hear what you have to say. And and yet things happen in the course of media, particularly if you are on news shows of some sort. If there's a, a breaking news story and you're ready to do some interview, you're probably going to get bumped, right? It's just over. They're on to this big story and they have to be. That's their job. And so you want to have an attitude of, of course, I understand, you know, I'll, I'll contact you later when things settle down and get out of there. So there are many different situations that can happen, surprises happen, and you want to be able to handle them in the best way possible. And I think attitude is really everything. It comes across. People know. They know. They know if you're excited. They know if you're enthusiastic. And they know if you're not, for sure. So. Uh, no question about it. And they do look for that because it's good TV or good radio or whatever. Yes. Uh, in the visual medium. Uh, in the book, you mentioned bad habits to break. What are some of the, what are some of them, and what's your advice on them? Mm. So probably uh, one of if you're working with say CEOs or leaders who are great and well known in their fields, and often they think when they go in front of the media, they'll that will translate, and sometimes it doesn't. They don't know who you are. So being a prima donna. Walking in with an attitude of, you know, I'm I'm it uh, is is not a really great attitude to have walking into a media interview situation. So don't be a prima donna. Uh, don't be late. <laughs> don't be late. I see this actually happen. In fact, I have a, a quick story R looking at my Instagram feed and one of my contacts was doing a live. And so I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So I stopped and up came the audio and I was watching it. And she was complaining. She was complaining that her guest was late. We were supposed to start this interview three minutes ago and she's late. I can't believe she's late. And it went on and on and on. And of course, I'm mesmerized by now. It's just like, uh, why is she doing this? <laughs> right? Why yeah. is she complaining? Because the person's going to hear this later. It's all being recorded and it's going to run and they're going to see it and hear it. So I was pretty fascinated. The person arrived and they were all, you know, happy to see each other. And then they started. So that was fine. I don't know what happened later. But really, the message there is and what she clearly didn't know was to have some other material to go into, even if it's just prepping for the interview, saying today when so and so arrives, we're going to talk about this. And I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about this and then maybe go into something. But you can it's like it's it's like uh you're on the air and you have to fill time right that that would happen where it's two minutes till you meet the network and you're gonna have to talk about something for two minutes so you stretch it out but you don't sit and complain i can't believe the network isn't starting you know now instead of two minutes from now i mean it's been the thrown her under the bus right <laughs> totally that's exactly what she did oh yeah, my goodness then either future people make sure they're always on time or they just want to avoid her show for fear that that could happen to them that's a good point. I think yeah. I would. I would be yeah. concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're big enough, like Gail King or something, people are going to put up with whatever because the audience is there for it. That's you know, true. Any of the any of the shows. Uh, how do you train people so they come across as authentic? That's my biggest concern when I would work with clients is not overtrain them. And I and I've done a lot of what you do with clients, I always worried about the overtraining and come across as insincere. So what do you do to work with your clients to make sure that doesn't happen? 
So what I've found is there's when you're training people, there's a period of time where they're in the learning stage. So you're going through what their key messages are and you're figuring out the best way for them to respond. And there is a sort of rehearsed quality to that because they're still learning. You've got to get past that to the point where you know the information so well that when you're on camera talking to you or anyone, any host, that you're actually present. You're there and you're present in the moment so that you can respond. And if you know the information so well, it's easy to do that. It also allows you to handle any kind of surprises that might come because you're present and you're able to do it. If you're sitting there, if I'm sitting in front of you and I'm going by rehearsed thoughts in my head, it's going to sound that way, which is what you're asking about. So in what I find is training them past that is what really helps and helping them to get used to just, um, being able to talk in front of a camera, because that's a, that's another thing too. A lot of people get nervous just when you turn on a camera, they turn into something else, you know, get all stiff and you got to get people past that. So. Yeah. I, I And you do see that all the time where they're uncomfortable if they haven't practiced it before. In the book, you talk about a person become a media darling. What's the profile of a media darling and who in the business world would you say fits that description? So really the profile is a media darling is someone, how I define it, it's, it's, it's the media wants to call them. I mean, I know you've watched networks or you've watched shows where they bring in the same expert to cover a particular topic. It's because they're used to working with them. They might have a, some other financial arrangement too. I mean, you know, I don't know about that particular part of it, but they deliver and they know they, they'll deliver. They don't have to take a chance on someone new necessarily. They have someone who will deliver. So I call that person a media darling that they're called upon. Um, and I would say I, I, there are many examples, but I have one in particular that I'd like to share because I think probably everybody here knows this person. They tend to be somewhat polarizing. Most either, either love him or they don't. Uh, but Either way, he's definitely, he fits this definition and that's Tony Robbins. And if you watch him doing interviews, I mean, here's one thing that just strikes me every time I see him. I've never seen someone be able to brag so well about what they're doing and come across as humble. He's really got that down. Um, he also, that first minute of an interview is important where you present whatever your story is or whatever it is you want to talk about. And no matter who he's talking to, he basically uses the same story, but it changes depending on the host, the audience who's watching uh, and what he's there to promote. It will change some, but it's basically the same. And he's he's genius at that. He's really good at it. So if, if someone were wanting to get good at this, I would say watch. There are others too, of course, but he's someone he's someone to watch. Yeah. Uh, which media are the most important to focus on? Because I get the sense that print media is only read by people over the age of 60, which I'm 62, and may not provide much uh, value. Is that true? Or is print making a comeback? Or is it still a, a value? Well, I, I so an interesting thing to consider is this with print. You're, you're talking about like magazines, solid magazines and, that and are sent to you. And newspapers, of course. Okay, newspapers too. The, I think the really interesting thing to keep in mind is that they have limited space. It's harder to get in there now than it ever has been because they have very limited space. It's not like going to a digital platform where they just add another couple pages and they can add what, however much content they want it's to. They just add a few pages. Yeah, infinite. It's limited. It's limited. And so getting there, they're very particular about who, you know, they will they will bring in, particularly magazines. And they're they're working, you know, seven months out. So you've got to have great content. I, I have looked at some numbers. Um, half half of readers uh, that read printed material are 55 and up, but it leaves half under that at, at various ages. So that was interesting. So it's still definitely uh, part of the landscape. Absolutely. Yeah. And the main thing to consider is who is your audience and what are they doing and what are they reading and what, you know, what are they watching? What are they listening to? And that's where you want to be. So that's the thing to consider. How do you make mundane businesses interesting to the media? Because I'm sure you get hired by businesses that are not very sexy and you have to, and they still want you to sell them. Or do you tell the client, listen, I, I just don't think I can do anything for you. You don't really have anything that will sell to the media. 
Well, I say no to more than I say yes to. So I'll say that. Uh, there are people I don't take on if I don't think I can help them. And that's just how I live. So I will only take someone on if I think I can do something. Um, and then the next piece of that is sometimes it's just about having interviews with the CEO or the C-suite, talking to people and finding out the story. What is in there? Are there some nuggets? And you just do some digging. It's amazing what comes out uh, if you do some digging and ask a lot of questions. And sometimes very wonderful hooks come into play uh, through that very experience. So if it seems mundane on the on the surface, um, it it may be, but if you dig a little bit, you'll probably find something. And if really there isn't, then you say no to it. At least that's what I do, because I wouldn't feel right taking someone's money if I didn't think I could do something for them. I agree um, with that totally. Yeah. And sometimes no matter all your good intentions, you just can't do that. Uh, what are some of the things that would surprise people about the media? Uh, I think uh, that they're just average, normal human beings. <laughs> some people, when it comes to approaching uh, someone at the New York Times or you know, even smaller uh, channels and outlets, uh, they get nervous. They get nervous um, and they're just really normal people. So if you just do some digging and figure out a great way to pitch them, um, you can you can get what you want what you want to have happen. Uh, so I think that that surprises people. And once they get into it, they get more comfortable with it and they're more willing to just step out. I mean, what can happen? I used to when I started in this business, I get nervous too. Oh my God, I have to call so and so at the New York Times, and I'd go walk around the neighborhood a couple of times because I was nervous about it. Well, eventually I got over that. Um, but you know, it's kind of a normal part of the situation. The other thing I hear from some people is there's a tendency to think that media, you know, they have some big plan. And most of the media folks I know, particularly journalists, reporters, that sort of thing, they just want to get the story on the air and get the facts right. You know, they're not interested in some big, you know, I don't know, whatever, some big plan. They just want to get the story and get it right. So that might surprise some people. Do you have any? Uh, well, I, I have to tell you, um, I don't have anything about that, but I do think that one of the things that you said that resonated with me is being available uh, to the media when they need you to be there. Because I've yes. just been twice in the past two months on national TV in Vietnam. And so when they write to you and they say, hey, do you have 15 minutes today to be on? I just say yes. Doesn't yes. matter what I've got yep. going. Yes. Uh, even if I'm teaching a class, I'll step out and do it because if you don't say yes, good chance you'll never get another opportunity because they'll put somebody else in. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. when I when I did it with them, they go, "Oh, this was great. You were well prepared. You know, they sent me uh, questions in advance, and they said um, we'd like to use you again." Then two weeks later, they said, uh, "Do you want to be on? And this you'll be on prime time with us uh, here in the evening." You're a media and, darling, Mark. You're a media yeah. darling. You well, qualify. You know, I, I, I enjoy. I enjoy the interaction, and I think it's a lot of fun. And so, and and then I ended up in a magazine too. And now they're doing another piece. So I think you've got to be very responsive. You uh, do. You I mean, do. I've heard my daughter tell me stories of clients that she's gotten them great opportunities because uh, she does healthcare. And they don't show up or oh they God. like put it off or they like, uh, well, I just don't have time today. Well, oh. they, the writer is on a deadline. No, no, and no. It's, and it's like a big publication. Yeah. And when I work with you got to do unless yeah, you're, when, you're having brain surgery done. Yeah. Uh, then <laughs> that's right. You got to exactly make sure right. you're, you're available. Yeah. I haven't that hard. I have an early conversation with my uh, clients early, early on about that, you know, because it's, it doesn't only hurt them. It hurts me because oh, this is a contact that I keep. Yeah. I once had a client, we got her in uh, with a columnist in the wall street journal, but it took, it took like six months. I mean, I was after this for quite a while. Um, I had to keep up coming up with new pitches. I went and I got every column she wrote for the six months previous to that. And I read every one of them. That's the first thing. And then, I, you know, how many people does she interview? You know, what kind of questions does she ask? I knew everything about her by the time I went back again. And um, 
So when she finally gave me the green light, okay, you know, we're going to go with you. You got five minutes. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, and, and that's fine, except that I couldn't reach my client quick enough. And she went on to someone else. So um, yeah, you got to be ready. And you, you don't know when the moment's going to come. That's the thing. Uh, and then you, you want to be there. But I did get him eventually in the Wall Street Journal with her. It just had to be the next round because she moved on. So yeah, respond fast. Yeah. I mean, even here, I had to do something in the U.S. and they contact me at three in the morning. I like woke myself up, made sure <laughs> I was available. I said, I just felt lucky that we were getting that, knowing how hard that work is. Good for uh, you. Question from the audience. How important is it that PR people have industry knowledge and media relationships in place mm. that uh, space versus cold calling a reporter from their database? An addendum to the previous question, uh, can you please uh, give an example? Uh, can you please give an example of an attention-getting subject line that would get the media's attention? Ah, okay. All right. Uh, so there's two questions there. Yeah. Which one you want me to go with first? Uh, let's just t- take them in order. How important okay. is it that the PR people have industry knowledge and media relationships in a pl- and a place that space versus cold calling a reporter from the database. Well, I mean, it's everything to have relationships. I mean, it's everything. It's everything. So, I mean, I've known Mark for a long time and, yes. um, and I've pitched him many, many times. And of course he's going to take the, the authors that I have that really fit what he's looking for and needs. And I, I always am thinking about that when I pitch Mark, it may or may not happen, but I am pretty confident, I should probably just ask him this, but I'm pretty confident when he gets something from me, he'll at least look at it. And I don't know that that's, okay, that's relationship. I get people writing to me every day and we're booked through mid-January of 2025. And so we get every day, but some of the people say they watch the show and they haven't. I mean, it's clear by who they're sending me Uh. or what they're sending me. And I'm like, you clearly haven't watched the show or you would know not to send this particular person to me. It's a cookbook author. Oh my. Uh, You know, it's a, somebody who does physical fitness. That's inexcusable. See, that's inexcusable. That really is. That's just not so. Yeah. Now, if, if, oh, go ahead, Mark. It's very off-putting. It is. You've just wasted my time. Yes. Yes. Now I'm really annoyed that you did that. When you, uh, when you, if you looked at all, even if you just looked at a website and didn't even look at one show, yeah. you would know exactly what I'm doing. But all they're doing is throwing pitches out there, trying to see what sticks uh, to help their client out. See, what I like about that is it makes life better for me. Yeah. Because I'm going to send you something that I think you'll like. Yeah. And I'm certainly not going to send you something like that. So yeah. to answer the person's questions, I mean, contacts and knowing people is is so much of it for sure. Because you can say, hey, will you look at this? And they say, sure, that's great. Also, even if you're cold calling or cold pitching someone, if it's a good match and you've done your research and you know that this is something that they would be interested in, you're halfway in, maybe more, probably more. You're in. Uh, so you want it. So that's an answer to your question. Contacts are best that you know, but if if you don't, then make sure it's a good match and a good fit. And that would be the way to go. And, and, that, and remembering that these guys in the media, um, they trust you. Mm, yeah. And that's why you keep getting your clients in because they trust you. Uh, I like that. Can, I like can that. you please, here's the a second part of the question. Can you please give an example of an attention getting subject line that would get the media's attention. Okay, so uh, it's hard to give you an exact sentence here, but I can tell you a couple of things. Most media will do two things. They'll read the headline and they'll read a PS. If you have a PS, usually people will read a PS. The headline, uh, it's, it's, it's important. If you can have a hook in there, that's the best. If it's sometimes I'll write in, you know, guest idea, like to Mark, I might say potential guest or guest opportunity, yeah. something like that. So he knows, oh, it's related to this area. It's a guest. 
And then I'll pitch something that I think, you know, it's obviously going to have business in there and and something that will grab him that's a little bit different. Sometimes I'll go to his podcast page and look at, you know, what he's done in the past. What what have his headlines been? That kind of thing. Try to get a sense of what does he like? Uh, and that's true of other hosts and journalists as well, if you're looking into a magazine or whatever. So coming up with something unique. Um, I also produce a podcast. So what I love about it is it's like a 360 degree view of what's going around, going on. And I get pitches as well. And so I must get, I don't know, five a week on how to thrive through challenging times. Well, okay. You know, I mean, I hear it all the time. I mean, five times a week, it's gone on for seven years now. So if you have a book, if you have a, a subject like that, you you want to make it unique or juicy in some way, it should be active. It should be something that just captures my attention. It's like, oh, that sounds interesting. And if you're just really not sure, look online at or on magazine covers even and read all the little bullet points, the headlines and see, you know, what grabs you, what grabs you where you would pick up the, pick it up and read it. That's what you want in your subject line, something like that. So, um, when you're going to be interviewed, what kind of any research should you do on the interviewer? Everything. <laughs> You'd be amazed how much I know about you, Mark. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not put that out there now. <laughs> not to make you nervous. Um, yeah. No, you definitely want it. Let's say it's a podcast. You want to listen to several shows and get a sense of what is this host like? What's his basic uh, or her or their basic uh, tone? Are they uh, friendly and easy to talk to? Are they confrontive and um, informative and they want facts and figures? Uh, what are, You want to get a general sense of the culture. You also want to make sure they take guests. This seems obvious, but I've known people who spend a lot of time pitching podcasts that don't even take guests. It's just the host doing, you know, just doing their show. And so to pitch them would be, you know, a colossal waste of your time. So you want to make sure they take guests and, uh, and then just get a sense of kind of, you can really get an idea of what people are like, just based on the questions they ask, responses to their guests, answers, you just get a feel for who they are. And then when you're pitching, you know, you can kind of pitch in a way that would speak to how they are. I hope that makes sense. Uh, but that's the kind of thing I look for. There is one other um, thing to keep in mind, and that is sometimes what you see online is not really what they're like. I, I, I'm thinking of various uh, NPR shows or public affairs programs where um, uh, the news person might be part of a morning team that's kind of a zany morning show. And if you just research them and you think, oh, they're kind of crazy. But if you actually get to their public affairs programming, they're quite serious. And so if you're pitching that kind of show, you want to have a more serious tone to it. So that's it can work that way too. So you definitely want to do your research, which is the the bottom line message in that. Yeah. Um, there are 321,000 podcasts according to Jandra. I would like to know a few things. What makes for a good business podcast that guests want to appear on? Because part of the PR is you might help your clients start their own podcast to build their visibility as opposed to just the PR where they're the guest. So what makes for a good business podcast that people want to appear on? Hmm. So having a topic that is um, unique to you, it fits your brand, it fits what you're doing. Having a good topic uh, uh, is important. I think building your audience is important because we are in a day and age where everybody's looking at that. Um, not only if you are wanting to be a guest on others' podcasts, you might look at how many show they, shows they've had, um, get a sense of what their audience is. But the podcast host is also looking for exposure for their particular program. And so for you to be building your platform numbers and for you to say, hey, I can take this out to my network also, it can be very attractive. So numbers come into play. Um, and again, it's, it's having some sort of uniqueness and also a plan. It, it's helpful if you know that there's a lot of work that goes into this. I mean, so many podcasts, you, you listed a huge number there, but many of them won't get past three months because it's a lot of work. If you're doing yes. a weekly show or a monthly show, it's a lot of work. And uh, you see many of them just 
go fade into the distance. So if you're going to do that, you want to make sure you're in for it for the long haul. And the only way really to do that is to get a sense of how much work it is. And maybe Mark would want to share a little bit about that. I mean, it's it's very true. I spend at least a day to a day and a half a week between reading every book cover to cover and marketing out the show. It's an enormous undertaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I put a dollar figure on this, it's like I'm spending like fifty to $75,000 a year. Wow. For me to go and put on a show because I could use that time in another way, but I really enjoy it. And the contacts I've made on a global basis have been amazing. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to help a lot of people because of the contacts I've made uh, or, or help clients get into the right people. But you're right. I mean, if you're doing a, 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 a substantive podcast, there's a lot of work. You just don't show up and start talking. Right. <laughs> right. It's a commitment and having a vision. And I hear you saying that, that it's there's so much that comes from it that makes it worth your while. Uh, and so you want to be looking for that and have that sort of um, vision. You need a vision. So when being interviewed online, what should your background look like? Like the backgrounds behind you? Yeah, I love your background. Yeah, thank you. I know know exactly what your show is about right there. Yeah. Um, The main thing I would say what to avoid is, you know, you want to avoid having like a messy room behind you or, um, you know, things that are distracting. Um, For a while, a lot of people would put bookshelves and books behind them. You'd see all these books. And what I found myself, it is smart. Uh, It is smart, especially if you're an author and that's what you're doing. so let's see. So have a have a background that that makes some sense. So I went, I went to oh, you'll love this. I went to um, a Zoom event earlier this week, and there was it was kind of like the Brady Bunch view, the gallery view, where you see all the people there. And there were quite a few people there with a number of screens. And I was just looking at the one screen. Two people w- were in bed watching oh, this. You know, not together. I mean, it, they were in separate oh. <laughs> in separate places, but they had pillows behind them, and they were in their bed. And I thought, you know. You really now these are the these are the participants, not the hosts. But still, y- you should be able to get up and sit in a chair when you go to some event. Um, so backgrounds matter, whether you're the host or you're the participant. They do. They do. Um, what's acceptable dress today when you're on TV or on a podcast? So you know we're in a at a time where. Casual is almost king or queen, however you want to put it. I mean, there's a wide variety of how people dress. I'm I'm a proponent of of dressing. If you're doing a business show, you want to dress somewhat businessy, at least having a you know blazer on or something. Uh, I would look to your host if you're doing a, a podcast, for example, on video. Uh, look to your host. How do they dress? I see many wearing hoodies and jeans, and it's a very oh. casual. And you could probably show up and be as casual. My suggestion might be being more business casual, so you're a little more professional looking. And how does your audience expect to see you? I prefer people to dress up a little bit, absolutely. But I do see a wide variety of of dress at this point. So the main thing is, how does your audience expect you? What's your brand? How do you want to come across and dress accordingly? What makes you most comfortable? Well, no, what makes you look the best? Yeah, put it that way. When you get on a podcast, uh, where should you post the link after it's live? Like, what are the different places you should post that link? Oh, goodness. You can have it in your on your website. Uh, maybe you have a media room with the logo of the particular podcast, which I think looks great. And then there's all the social media channels. You can be sharing it there so that people who are connected to you can listen to your podcast. Um, any groups that you belong to, groups, uh, groups are wonderful because people know you. And you have relationships with them and you can share that in your groups. There's all kinds of places that you can use it. And you can do it more than once, by the way, because a lot of times when people are in social media, they're scrolling. They're scrolling through. They aren't necessarily going to your profile page or just scrolling the news feed. So you can post it a few times, even more over the course of days, um, even weeks, and share it with people. So those are some of the places you want to add to that, Mark? No, I, you know, I, my next question relates to uh, this, which is 
Is there any value on posting in LinkedIn groups? I'm part of 50 plus groups totaling over 3 million people. Wow. What, what do you think about that? Are you getting engagement? Are people commenting or liking it or, yeah, or is it I, just... You know, it all depends on what I put. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre, but like some authors, uh, there's a few, there'll be a few. Sometimes I'll get like 1,500, 2,000 uh, on different groups. Okay. And is this posting about the upcoming podcast or are you saying posting uh, well, a link after? It's, uh, I always post about the upcoming podcast and you'll see a certain number. It could be a few hundred, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll post in different uh, places. But let's say that I've done the interview like I'm doing with you and I'll, I'll post it later on my LinkedIn and some other sites uh, on other groups on LinkedIn as well. And sometimes if the subject really interests people, you might see 1,500, 2,000 people oh. uh, that saw that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So what so I what like... Do, what do you think of that, um, of LinkedIn? I, I don't know, really, you know, it's bizarre. Like you'll uh, go LinkedIn, you'll post it and you'll hit 3 million people. And yet you don't see the that those numbers that you would think you might see joining your show. I, even in the beginning of the... Um, the pandemic when I started my show and I once had John Chambers who had been chairman CEO of Cisco Systems. I thought, oh my God, it's going to be wild. You know, the number of people I have and especially I posted to over 3 million people and I had 278 people, I think, listening to the show, which was a very good number. But I really thought it would be like 500 because he's John Chambers and such a well-known person in the technology field. So I was surprised. So what's your take on the LinkedIn groups and, and so forth? Oh, I think I think you're doing the right thing. I think posting there is a great place to go. Absolutely. And I would keep it up. Um, being surprised by the numbers, well, that doesn't really surprise me either. Um, you know, we live in a world that is so busy. It's just so busy. And you just have to catch people at exactly the right time or they're in just the right mood to go ahead and listen. I mean, it just, and it's hard to, I mean, you can't really anticipate that because everybody's in a different place, but you definitely want to have it there. You definitely want to have it there. When it comes to posting the link, which I'll do when, you know, we finish, uh, and the way I like to do it when it comes to posting those sorts of things is not just to post it. I like to say, I love the question Mark asked me at, you know, 32 minutes in, or um, I love the way we talked about how, I don't know, um, um, I'll pick something good. I just have a little time here. Uh, but I love the way we talked about this or Mark's question about this was fantastic. And if you're interested in this particular subject, you'll definitely want to be listening at this point, but listen to all of it, you know, something like that. And it's just enough to kind of grab them. Again, it's like having some sort of hook. So I wrote a a national com for American City Business Journals for over a decade and for other publications. Is writing free comms a good use of um, to get time and exposure? Yes. (laughs) As a short answer. Yes, it can. It can be great. Absolutely. Because here's the thing with earned media that doesn't go away. Um, there are there are certain types of things you can do where it's dependent on an algorithm and it can come and go and it's up to the whim of whatever, but earned media doesn't go away. So even if you do a story uh, and a certain number of people see it today, it's there for, 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 you know, forever and people can continue to find the story and things are searchable so they can do certain search words and it will come up. So, and, and if you want to do other media later, maybe top tier media or whatever, in order to get them, they're going to do a search on what else you've done. And so if you've done other kinds of stories and other sorts of things, they'll see that. And that just gets you a little bit closer to being chosen to be interviewed or, or whatever. Uh, when hiring a PR professional, should the contract include a set number of exposures? Uh, I know from uh, doing this work, which is incredibly hard, that clients always want guarantees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've worked, I work a couple different ways. Sometimes a special a project fee can can work. Uh, I've done things where someone, you know, we work on an agreement where, you know, 10 podcasts and that's the, and then you keep booking and you keep working on it until you fulfill that. That's one way to go. Um, often, uh, retainer-based 
situation is what is agreed upon. The beauty of that is you can change midstream as to what you're doing. So you're working on something, maybe it isn't working as well as you thought, or maybe there's some breaking news story, or there's something happening that you can speak to, then you can do a big shift and direct all your energy towards that. So when you do a retainer-based, you have much more freedom. Project-based, it's set. That's it. You're doing that. Unless you agree to to something else. So they both can they both can work. I understand wanting guarantees. That is just really not possible because you can't anticipate what uh what what stories may come up or stories may break or or timing. If you pitch a story to an editor and they just covered it a couple of months ago, they may tell you no, maybe the greatest story in the world, but they've just covered it. So these are these are some things that you can't really anticipate. I agree with you totally about that because uh, you have no control over it. Even if you know the people, you have no control over it. Right. Um, what's the minimum number of months you should hire a PR person to give them a chance of getting publicity? And what's the range you should expect to pay for a quality experienced professional? So part of it depends on the media you're going after. So if you want magazines and that sort of thing, they're seven months out. Same with uh, industry trade reviews. If you're if you have a book and you you have a publisher, uh, that they usually have a lead time of you know like Publishers Weekly. The industry trades are you know four months in advance, so that takes some time. And it's good, like if you're in a magazine, it takes seven months to get there. You start it's takes a while before you actually see the results. If you and even podcasts, as we know, there are some podcasts that book pretty far out into the future because they're popular. Um, and that can take some time. However, to answer your question, most that I know uh, go with six-month contracts because that gives you time to actually write the materials, do the pitching, land some things. I would say an absolute minimum of three months, and that's if you're going after more immediate media opportunities that can turn on a dime pretty quickly. Then you might start to see some results pretty pretty quickly within that three-month period. But I would, I, I don't think you could do it for less than that. I, I always tell them six months. Yeah. That's um, the preferred. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think three months is enough time unless they've got something super hot uh, that you think is going to explode for them. Uh, when preparing for an interview, should you get the questions in advance and write out the answer? So is it, as the person being interviewed, should I ask for the questions in advance and should I write out my answers to see what I'm, how I might respond? This is a multi-layered question. Um, some some podcasters or some media are happy to supply you with the questions that they ask, which is wonderful because it gives you a sense of the flow. And if there is anything you're not really sure of, you have time to research it and be ready. Uh, then there are others who do, who don't want to do that. Um, the host that I work with, he doesn't he doesn't do that ever because um, he comes up with his own questions. Uh, so so that's that part. Writing it out, you could do that uh, just to sort of get your thoughts together, uh, but then you need to let that go. I mean, you certainly don't want to have that with you when you're doing a, an interview of some sort off camera uh, because you're going to sound like you're reading it. So that wouldn't be good. But rehearsing, yeah, that's fine. Write it out. What will you say? Get your thoughts together ahead of time. And then when it's time to do the interview, you'll be ready. So, Yeah, I think uh, preparation is always good. When you talk about speech patterns, what are you referring to? And why is that important? Are you talking about sound bites or? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, sound bites are important because it's a way of conveying a big, robust amount of information in as few words as possible. Have you ever been talking with someone and they went on and 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 you still thought, I don't know what they're talking about? I mean, I have. Yeah. It's awful. So uh, sound bites are the absolute opposite of that. Sound bites, it's conveying information. So an example, I was listening to a podcast some time ago now, but I still remember it. And it was, uh, they were interviewing a relationship expert. And she said, she said, when it comes to relationships, perfection equals pure fiction. I remembered it. I think probably a lot of people did. Uh, so coming up with ways to say things that are sticky and memorable is imp it's important. That said, you don't want to interview full of sound bites because that would be irritating. So everything is always kind of a mix, and you think of sound bites as you have a stew and you're adding a little you know spice into the stew, so you throw them in. Yeah. 
Do you want to know how to create sound bites? I don't know that we have time for that. Probably not. <laughs> well, if you have a quick one. Uh, yeah, just um, I would pay attention to other interviews. This is probably the best way because sound bites will stand out. What do you remember? What jumps out at you? And then you can start to kind of pick that apart. There's triples, words, do, re, mi, one, two, three. We love things in threes. That's so if you can come up with that, uh, that can be very helpful. And Media Darling, I think I have a whole chapter on how to do that, uh, which I can't summarize this quickly and have it really helpful. Uh, but that's an option. So. Uh, you wrote about a client that flamed out on national television who took responsibility for his failure. What do you tell the client so they regain confidence and take responsibility for their failure and improve? Because, you know, a lot of times a client will look at you and say you failed them when they're <laughs> the ones that have to take responsibility for that. Yeah. So as you pointed out in that particular instance, it was a situation where, I mean, the guy was, I, I'd seen him in action. He was so good. But when he got in front of national TV, he caved. Uh, the motivation there was he knew it, as you mentioned. So he was very motivated. I got a media trainer in there that night. He was in LA. I got, got him to see someone that night and they were able to work it out. So I didn't really have to say a lot because he already was motivated. But uh, if someone is in a situation where they know they've flamed out and they want to blame me, um, I'm not going to let that happen. <laughs> I might give them a little time and then we have another conversation about it. Uh, maybe we look at the video together and kind of decipher what happened and then, you know, have more of a, then we do a little training and get them past that. Cause you know, mistakes, you learn from them. That's the whole idea. It's too bad you have them, but if you're going to have them, then learn from them. That really is the bottom line. Uh, I always worry about media coaches making people look fake, especially when they don't answer the question the interviewer posed, which I always think of Al Gore, who I initially liked and later would turn off every time I saw him being interviewed because he would never answer the question. What should a client look for in a media coach and how does the interview keep their authenticity? You know, I have that same complaint, Mark, whenever it's mostly politicians, you know, they, they're asked a question and they just answer, you know, whatever they want to answer. They don't yeah, even. And it's totally lose it for me. I just like turn off the TV and I never trust them again. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. So we never want to do that. None of us ever want to do that. So the bottom line is you always want to at least begin to answer the question because maybe you don't really know and you want to bridge it back to something you do know. And you can say something like, you know, I'm, I, I, that's not really my lane. I don't know a lot about that, but what I can tell you is this and kind of bridge it back into something else. Um, and that takes rehearsal. I mean, mock interviews, you can do your own. You can ask your own questions on camera and answer them. And how, how are you doing? Have someone else ask you questions and practice. The whole idea is to come across naturally and you know, when you do, and you know, when you don't, you first have to get past just seeing yourself on camera. Cause if you're not used to it, the automatic reaction is, Ooh, do I look like that? And yes, you do. So you need to look at yourself over and over and over again and get to a point where you get used to it. And then it's about practicing. So you don't sound fake like that. And you never want to just ignore a question and answer with something else ever. That's just a bad idea. Even politicians. So, yeah, he's the worst. Uh, <laughs> when you do want to convey a certain message, how do you do it so you don't look like you have your own agenda and really don't care about the interviewer or the audience? Oh, um, oh, that's see, I'm going to do it again. That's a great question. Um, I, you you want to hear the concern behind the question. And, and really have put your mind on what is it, how, how can you help the other person? Not just on what do I want out of this? This is like any relationship. You want to hear what the other person, where they're at, what they're thinking, how they feel, and you know, kind of work together on that. This is the same with an interview. You want to hear what, hear the question, what's behind it, and answer as best you can, not with some canned response. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, Mark, and it's awful. And that's the quickest way for people to flip off a show or a podcast, you know, because that that kind of thing. So you do want a certain authenticity and you just believe it or not, you have to practice for that because it's kind of an artificial environment to be in front of a camera. And you got to get past that to where it's more natural. I mean, I hate to even say this um, because I want to stay out of the politics of it, but Trump is very good at this. 
you know, he comes across as um, like who he is uh, on these uh, different shows and doesn't seem like anything he says is canned. It looks like he just answers whatever comes to mind uh, for him. Hence why he's been on for most of my adult life. Uh, He's been asked to be on these shows and and has been a media darling for a very long time. How important is it to have a social media presence? And do you outsource content development or you do it yourself? Uh, it's important. I mean, there, there are really three buckets of media. One is earned media. Other is you media. That's your own content generation. And the third bucket is social media or borrowed or rented media is another terminology that's used. Uh, and at this point, it's a big player. So it's important. Yes, it's absolutely important. If you want to be doing media interviews, I mean, they're going to expect you to be promoting it to other, uh, your, your network, basically. Um, and then the next part of that question was, do you do it yourself or have someone else do it? That's really, that's up to you and a matter of budget. I think yourself, you know your voice, you know what you want to get across. Having you there is important because it's you. Uh, having someone else do it, you run the risk of their voice or having it sound too canned. I mean, maybe there's a situation where you can work with someone where they kind of know how to. Uh, present you. And I know some people are so busy, they run companies or they've, you know, they're doing all kinds of things and they really can't handle their own social media. And maybe you need to work with someone else on that, but you've got to be a part of it. And you should be the one, you know, responding when people are engaging within your social channels. It would be good for you to come in there and respond directly back to them uh, because your presence needs to be there. It's you, right? So that would be my response to that. You quote a psychologist saying that words only count for 7% of an impression. What's the biggest part of making the right impression? Uh, I would say um, enthusiasm because we're really talking about nonverbals. And if it's if it's on a podcast that doesn't have a video component, it's just audio, then it's your voice. It's do you sound um, enthusiastic? Are you involved? I mean, this is what people will hear is your voice. Are you speaking quietly? And having a variety can be very important. And pauses speak a lot. So it's the it's that's verbal, obviously. On camera, in addition to the verbal, you've got the nonverbals where you're doing gestures, you're making certain, you know, points. Uh, that can be very important. And I think the bottom line is that it's congruent. So I watched a, a TV interview once on the news and it was with one of the Portland Trailblazers, I think. It was one of the popular stars of the team and they had brought in a new player and they were asking him, how do you feel about this new player? How do you feel about working with him? And he says, oh, I love working with him. He's just great. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, do you see the non? how incongruent that is? He's saying, I love working with him and shaking his head no. Uh, So, yeah. So when you're doing interviews and you're on camera, you want to make sure all of you is moving in the same direction. It can go the other way where you say, um, this is like, see if I can do it, where you say, no, I never did that. You can see this when you watch court TV. I watched it once and I saw one of the, they had the, the guy on trial for murder. And he answered, no, I didn't do it. And I went, oh, <laughs> <laughs> he Sorry. was convicted. Yeah, anyway. of course. So here's my last question for you. You have a blog and other online information. I think the people find what you do very valuable and, and probably want to sign up for it. Aww. So how can they access um, the content you have that they can become more knowledgeable about how to build their brand and get PR? Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I have uh, on my website, I have a contact tab. It's joannemccall.com. I have a contact pad, uh, tab and you can click on that and you can send me a note and say hi. Or you can sign up and you could sign up for Savvy Sunday Community, which is I do a weekly newsletter and I talk about all this kind of stuff and would love to have you there. That'd be great. We could stay in touch. That would be really fun. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Loved your book. I think it's uh, for people who want to uh, build their visibility with the media. It's a must have book. Uh, So I'm looking forward to having you again sometime when you write your next book. And certainly thank you for sending us great authors. 
I will continue to do that, Mark. And thank you for having me. I had such a great time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.